Good morning. <clears throat> I thought it would be good to remind us that we're all welcomed into God's story at the beginning of this Christmas season. And today's sermon is entitled An Extraordinary King. And with an extraordinary king comes an extraordinary kingdom. And we are, this morning, all welcomed here into the presence of the king. We are invited into God's eternal kingdom. All because Jesus came that first Christmas. And this is not a distant king, but Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The creator of all things humbled himself and came to earth as a baby. And if I'm honest, I've heard the Christmas story many times, but do I really understand the depth of God's love for me, for us? In these events that played out in a backwater town in Israel that changed the course of history forever. Shall we read from Matthew chapter 2? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem and the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, from, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, heard the king they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to, to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child, his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. In this passage, we have three types of kingship in action. We have a kingdom of tradition, a kingdom of fear and a kingdom of vulnerability. And I wonder which king you are today. Make no mistake, when the Magi from the east um, followed the star, they knew something was up. 
they would have been um, studying the stars for, for many years and traditions passed down, maps passed down, customs passed down from one generation to another as tradition and custom dictated. And then one night it all changes, a new star suddenly appears. And can you imagine the conversation? Did you see the new star in the sky last night? Yeah, right, when have you ever seen a new star? Who are you kidding? The next thing you'll be saying, the star was moving. Well, funny you should say that. Um, but you wait tonight and see this extraordinary star. And I wonder how long it took them to work out that this star was something to do with the Jewish people. In Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. And in Daniel 7:14, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I'm guessing these magi, these wise people, moved in the right political circles. They were respected scholars of the day. And yet these wise men risked everything to follow the star and look for this new king. I guess what do we follow and put our trust in? Tradition dictated that they bring gifts as well. In Isaiah 60 verse 6 it says, Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephra. And all from Sheba will bring gold, incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. They came and they worshipped the Lord. Gold for kingship, frankincense representing Jesus' priestly calling, and myrrh for anointing. And later we read in Isaiah 61 that Jesus was anointed to preach good news to the poor. And I guess many today are happy with their kingdom of tradition as long as things don't change, stay as they are. I am content. People are are happy to acknowledge Christmas with their heads, with all its tradition and time off work and food and celebration, with perhaps not letting the true message of Christmas affect their hearts. People are happy to worship creation, science and education in our post-enlightened world, but perhaps they don't want to worship the creator and author of life. The Magi didn't fully know what was going on, but they could see God at work in a star. And they wanted to worship the king. Somehow to gain his favour, to tick the box and do the right thing. Are we content in our intellectually safe kingdom where we understand the rules of the game, logic wins, the kingdom of tradition and religion triumph over all, comfortably numb? Or do we believe that buying the ideal Christmas present will make things all better? They won't. We can't buy favour or love. It has to be freely given. God wants us to experience a different kingdom, 
Not a happiness we can buy, but one that we receive as a gift from an extraordinary king through an intimate relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The next kingdom we find here is the kingdom of Herod, the kingdom ruled by fear. A king that you wouldn't want to cross, a king that went down in, down in history for all of the wrong reasons, a king driven by his own agenda and the need to be in charge and in control. We have this tyrant king who reigns through power, possession and force and will crush anybody that gets in his way. A kingdom of fear. A king not to be admired for his potential wisdom and mercy and fairness, but a distant king that would kill you if you crossed him or threatened to disrupt his way of life. We have all worked or come across people like this in our world. The bullies of the world who take advantage without thinking of the consequences and injustice reigns. So word gets to Herod that a new king is in town. He does not know where, but the buzz is across the town. Something is up, so he calls the chief priests and the teachers together to find out more. Herod's position, his power, his reign could all come crushing to an end. Would the new king wipe out his family, which kings in the past had often done? Would Herod be held accountable for his corruption and cruelty? Herod himself could not give credence to this new king, as it would have weakened his position. So he caused the Magi to meet with him secretly. Tell me what you know, so that I might go and worship him. And we know that that wasn't true. This was a worried king, a fearful king. And what are we afraid of losing in acknowledging Jesus as our extraordinary king? Honour, friends, people's approval, money, authority, free will. So we have these two kingdoms playing out, one of tradition and one of fear. And I wonder what our extraordinary king was doing at this time. I guess he may have been playing a game of hide and seek with his father, or watching his father in the workshop, because he could be around about two at this time, or slightly less. He was simply happy and content in his father's presence. Not to say he didn't have the issues with the nappy rash and teething and everything else that comes with a baby. But he knew love. He knew that he was safe in his father's presence. How great will it be for each one of us to live in, in eternity in the presence of the king. The king of king and lord of lords. Safe in his love. And I wonder whether this simple relationship between Jesus, his father and his mother, faithfully worshipping God in some backwater town in Bethlehem is at the heart of what made Jesus an extraordinary king, acknowledging and accepting God's presence in his life. Samson knew God's, God's presence in his life at the end when he stretched out his arms. In Exodus 33, we read, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. 
God's presence goes with each one of us through the Holy Spirit each and every day. And God provides us with his peace, his rest, and his love. The great commandment says to love God, ourselves and our neighbours. And Jesus later went on to say that we should even love those that we find difficult. For love and intimacy are at the heart of God's kingdom here on earth. We can't love someone, I guess, that we don't spend time with. Perhaps we want God to change our circumstances, to make life a little easier, rather than being content with God's grace, mercy and provision for today. Jesus' life was never easy, but I would suggest he was always content, always at peace, because he was known as the Prince of Peace, content with his Heavenly Father's provision and direction in his life. And even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And as I, and as I say, this heart relationship, this love, is the essence that what made Jesus an extraordinary king. God blessed him before he could even achieve anything. He blessed him simply because he loved him. And we have to remember that appointing a king wasn't Jesus or wasn't God's idea. God pointed out the risks of appointing a king to his people, but yet they still wanted one. And we've been living with the consequences of that ever since. Even though God let Saul be king, and later David, arguably the two most well-known kings in the Bible, what was it that connected the two together? I would suggest it's a heart relationship, not one of an external kingdom, but an internal kingdom, transformed from the inside out through the Holy Spirit. We can read in 1 Samuel 10, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Earlier in verse 7 it said, Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, for your God is with you. And that Emmanuel, God with us, is still the presence of the King in our lives. And just as a side, I, I wonder how comfortable we are with prophecies and dreams and the promises of God's word. We read all that happened to Saul and all that came to pass, and we accept it. We know that Jesus fulfilled promise after promise, prophecy after prophecy, written in God's word, and we accept it. The Magi and Joseph had significant dreams. Jesus, our extraordinary king, ushers in an extraordinary kingdom if we hold on to the promises of God's word. We would all do greater things than Jesus did. Do we expect Jesus, our extraordinary king, to act in our lives and do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? Perhaps that's something to ponder. So we have Saul's heart, which was changed before he could be king. Then we have King David, who was described as a man after God's own heart. In Acts we read, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. God's kingdom, Jesus' kingship, is based on a heart response to God's love, acceptance, and the love of the Father. Even Mary pondered all of these events in her heart that first Christmas. And what of our hearts? Where are they today? Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Matthew 13, verse 15, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, turn and I would heal them. Jesus was an extraordinary king because his heart was pure and fully devoted to God, doing only what he saw the Father do out of love and honour for him. So a quick test of where our hearts are at. Do we live for the love of the law? Or do we live by the law of love? Do we strive for the need of of approval and acceptance from other people? Or are we happy to accept that we are loved by God and justified by grace? Is our personal achievement and um, goal for to impress people? Or perhaps we haven't got any motivation to serve at all? Or do we serve simply out of a deep gratitude for being loved and accepted by God? What about handling thoughts? Do we make ourselves look better? by making others look bad? Or do we seek to restore others in love? In expressions of love, are we guarded and conditional? Or are we open, patient and affectionate? And our spiritual vision, is it a a desire to be seen or better than someone else? Or do we seek daily just to experience our Father's love for us. And don't worry, I'm still working on many of these and there was a lot more that I could share. But God is patient and God is changing my heart and my mind as I spend time with him. As he helps me to understand how wide, how deep and how high and how wide is the love that Jesus has for, for me. And he takes me along at my own pace because he is our extraordinary king. So we have this extraordinary king, not a distant king, not a king of earthly traditions, not a king of fear or of manipulation, but a king of love who exercises power and authority with grace and mercy. A king who was secure in his father's love, who trusted his father even when he didn't quite understand. He simply obeyed because he knew he was God's only son and that one day he would re-inherit the kingdom of heaven and bring glory to God's earth. 
A king who is prepared to serve and be served. A king who encouraged and healed those who came to him. A king who was never too busy to take time for people. A king who laid down his life for those he loved. A king that says, not guilty. Go in peace. I love you. Sin no more. A king who still invites us into this wonderful Christmas story each and every day. Not because of who we are or what we think or what we may have achieved or what we think we need to achieve, but simply because we are loved and that we are a child of God. From shepherds to teenage mum, from distraught father to wisdom giants to hopeful travellers, we are all invited into the Christmas story of God's kingdom here on earth because we have our extraordinary king.